How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown! How did it get so late so soon? Dr. Seuss. Welcome to episode two of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who still sleeps with a nightlight on. How's that for ironic? I've got a great show lined up for you today. We'll be talking about time slips, true stories of people who were suddenly and unexpectedly transported into the past or into the future. So hop into your time machine and buckle up because things are about to get so, so strange. Today's episode is a compilation of stories that I found online. This first series of stories is brought to you by Ranker.com. That's where I rounded up these gems. And the first story is called Two Professors See Marie Antoinette at Versailles in 1901. In 1901, two professors from St. Hugh's College in Oxford, England, went to visit the Palace of Versailles. Versailles was, of course, the French royal home until the monarchy was abolished in 1792. Marie Antoinette, one of the last royals to live there, was executed in 1793. So on that day in 1901, when professors Anne Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain were walking to the grounds of the palace, it's pretty safe to say they did not expect to see Marie Antoinette in the flesh just chilling on a stool outside the Petit Trianon, a private retreat built for Antoinette by her hubby, Louis XVI. And yet there she was, sitting and sketching and completely oblivious to the fact that two women were gaping at her and all the other people in 1780s period attire who had appeared just as suddenly as Antoinette. Antoinette and everyone else disappeared when a tour guide approached Moberly and Jourdain. Together, they wrote a book called An Adventure. It was about their experience, and the story gained notoriety because of how grounded it seemed. These were two highly educated and well-respected women. They wouldn't just make up a story like that. So, what was it then? Did they actually travel through time? It's one of the most thoroughly reported, compelling, and famous time travel stories that can't be explained. Now, I will say, in my humble opinion... Uh, just because these two ladies went on to write a book about their experience doesn't mean that the story itself was fabricated. You know, it's something that happened to them. Uh, they were both respected women. They had, honestly, uh, more to lose than they had to gain by making this story public. And also, I can't help but, but think that, you know, those two ladies seeing Marie Antoinette may have left them feeling like they were losing their minds, but at least they didn't lose their heads, if you catch my drift. See what I did there? Little, little French time slip humor. The next article is titled, The Green Children of Woolpit. In the 12th century, a young boy and girl were found alone in Woolpit, England. They didn't speak English or any other identifiable language for that matter, and their skin was green. That's right, green. They were taken in by a local villager, and though the boy died soon after, the girl survived and eventually learned to speak English. Finally, she was able to tell someone where she came from. She said that she had come from a twilight-covered place called St. Martin's Land, and that she and her brother were taking care of their father's sheep one day when they found a cave. 
They went into the cave, and after walking for what felt like a very long time, they emerged in Woolpit. Maybe it's just a folk tale, or maybe they came from the future. After all, their story does sound suspiciously like a time slip. Unfortunately for them, they were never able to get back to where or when they came from. Now, I will tell you, dear listener, this is actually a very short and condensed version of the story. Uh, we've covered this uh, a bit more thoroughly on my other podcast, Paranormal Dads. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, they report they came from a, a world or a place that was was much more dim. The the earthly sun was apparently way too way too hot for and bright for their sensitive eyeballs. And apparently another little facet to the story, they only would eat beans. Like they were obsessed with beans. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, dinner. What do you kids want to eat? Beans. That's all they would eat. Um, it's, you know, the girl went on and she, she lived a, a semi-normal life for somebody who had come from such circumstances, you know, and the green skin, you know, it, it, as far as I could gather, it doesn't really say if that ever wore off or if this girl, you know, looked like a Martian for the rest of her life. I don't know. Uh, obviously, as many of us know, you know, some people with sensitive skin, uh, can have, you know, a you know, part of your skin can turn green if you're wearing cheap jewelry. Um, it's it's known that people with a higher level of acidity in their body uh, are especially prone to their skin turning green due to jewelry. And also, it's scientific fact that an iron deficiency, believe it or not, will also make uh, cheap jewelry turn your skin green. So where these kids, you know, but th that doesn't really explain much because, you know, even if these kids did have an iron deficiency, you know, maybe in St. Martin's land, there was no iron in their, you know, in their Cheerios, but that still doesn't explain why their whole body was green. Because obviously, if you wear a bracelet or necklace, only a very small fraction of your skin is going to turn a different shade. There is a condition, uh, I'm going to butcher this one, sulfahemoglobinemia, I think. <laughs> but it's caused by a sul it's caused essentially by sulfur replacing iron in the hemoglobin. And hema hema hemoglobin? Hemoglobin? Uh, <laughs> at, any, at any rate, uh, this occurs... Due to a lot of things, it could be due to poisoning or serious health conditions, but that is one known uh, known human condition that can cause a person's skin to to turn green. But that's just one, you know, one one part of a very weird story. And um, I'm sad the boy passed away, but I'm glad the the girl went on to live a nice, long, healthy life. The next article is titled "Charlotte Warburton Travels Through Time Without Even Realizing It." In 1968, Charlotte Warburton entered a cafe she had never seen before. Nothing seemed amiss, but when she tried to go back a few days later, it had vanished. Charlotte later learned that there was, in fact, a cafe in that spot many, many years ago. It had been replaced by a supermarket long before Charlotte claims to have walked in and visited it. Now, this is how a lot of time slip stories happen. They're, they're sudden, they're random, they're unexpected. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't expecting to be a time traveler that day. She just wanted a cup of, cup of joe. She just wanted her latte. You know, and I've seen uh, other articles. I've watched YouTube videos that discuss this particular case. And in some of the other content that I've gathered, uh, this, this lady, Charlotte, she reported that when she was inside the cafe, everybody was dressed in old-fashioned 
attire. And she could hear background noises. You know, she could hear, you know, coffee brewing. She could hear cups clanking um, and, you know, background noise. But the people inside who were speaking and interacting with one another, she could see their mouths moving, but there was no sound coming from them. So it's almost like, you know, it's almost like, a, you know, kind of going back to episode one, almost like a glitch in the matrix type moment where, you know, the audio or video wasn't quite working right. She could see their lips moving, but there was no sound. And uh, part of me can't help but wonder uh, if she really wanted to confuse the barista, uh, you know, from long ago, make a place a, a modern day coffee order. You know, can I please get a venti soy quadruple shot latte with no foam? Up next, a police officer travels to the 1950s from 1996. In 1996, a police officer and his wife were shopping in Liverpool. His wife went into a bookshop while he took off for a CD store down the street. As he walked away from the bookstore, he noticed that everything was suddenly quiet. Then, a van that looked like it was from the 1950s honked and swerved around him. Somehow, he was standing in the middle of the street, and stranger than that, everyone around him was dressed in 1950s-style clothing. Confused, he tried to go back into the bookstore, but it wasn't there. In its place was a women's clothing shop called Crips. So he went into the clothing shop, but as soon as he did, it was a bookstore again. He was back in 1996, but couldn't figure out what happened to him until he learned that Crips hadn't existed since the 1950s. One thing I can't help but point out is how much we all miss a CD store, right? <laughs> In a world with digital everything at our fingertips, it's pretty awesome. You know, MP3 formats and you got a database of every song ever ever made right at your fingertips. But God, wasn't it great to go into a CD store back in the 1990s? And uh, it felt like it was cutting-edge technology. Cassette tapes, we don't need cassette tapes anymore. Give us a CD. And now those are virtually obsolete. But the, the part of this story, uh, the part of this story that kind of stood out to me is the part where everything went quiet. Uh, the guy reported that everything went quiet. And it kind of reminds me of the previous story of the Charlotte in the in the cafe. You know, something was off with the audio component, if you will, of the experience. And, you know, ev everything going quiet, it, it actually reminds me of a, a an experience that I had in my youth. Now, I was probably around 10 years old. And I lived just a couple blocks from the from the elementary school that I attended. And so one day after school, I'm I'm walking back home, and I had just crossed 30th Street, uh, which is in the north side of Omaha, Nebraska. And 30th Street is a very busy street, very very busy, a lot of traffic all day, all night. And I was walking uh, on a sidewalk that was right next to a park. Uh, it's a called Miller Park, actually. And I remember the instant that. I experienced this because everything went quiet and and suddenly it it seemed really odd to me I heard no cars I heard no background noise there was no birds chirping no barking dogs uh, I couldn't see anybody else around me uh, it was whisper quiet if you can imagine yourself being in a soundproof booth that's how quiet it was I could hear my own heartbeat reverberating in my ears and I, I, there was no wind, no nothing. And, and it struck me as so odd in the moment, I literally just stopped walking. And I, I just looked all around me trying to make sense of it. And I couldn't. And this lasted for a couple minutes. Very strange for, you know, being around 3.15 in the afternoon. 
And almost like as if somebody just flipped a switch, everything started up again. And cars started to drive by, birds started chirping, dogs started barking, the wind picked up, I heard, you know, leaves rustling in the background. But for that brief moment, it was it was almost as if, you know, somebody had hit the pause button on, on life itself. And ever since that, I, I could never explain what happened. I don't know if it was a time slip or a, a time freeze, uh, but it struck me as so strange, and it's uh, something that's kind of stuck with me all these years. Up next is an article titled, Jafar Vorin Claimed to be from Laxaria. In 1850, a man named Jofar Vorin was found in a town in Germany called Frankfurt on the Order. He spoke very broken German, which made his claims even more difficult to understand. He said that he was from Laxaria and spoke the languages of Laxarian and Abramian. He said that he was in search of his long-lost brother, but he was shipwrecked on the way to his destination. He didn't recognize any of the maps or globes that were presented to him. He claimed that the world as he knew it had five sections, Sacria, Aflar, Aslar, Oslar, and Uplar. In the Yearbook of Facts in Science and Art, John Timms reports that Varin was taken to Berlin to be questioned and studied. There's no doubt that this man named Varin existed, but the question is, was he crazy or was he truly from a very distant future? This story, in, in a weird way, almost kind of reminds me of one of my favorite movies. It's called The movie's called K-Pax, and it's starring, uh, I believe it's starring Kevin Spacey. And it's from, oh gosh, uh, maybe early 2000s. Really cool movie, uh, if you're, and it's, you know, it's not necessarily about uh, time slips or time travel per se, but it's a really cool story that has a, a twist at the end that you won't see coming. The movie's essentially about a guy who claims that he's not from around here. <laughs> the main character claims that he's from a different planet called K-Pax and, uh, you know, speaks different language. Uh, you know, and, and the, the thing that makes it really interesting is he's actually a mental patient inside of a mental health facility. And his counselor or therapist, you know, initially thinks he's kind of cuckoo, but as he gets to know this guy better, he starts to really wonder if maybe there is a planet called K-Pax and this guy is a, is a visitor to Earth. Um, and I won't spoil any more, but go check out that, that movie called K-Pax if you're, if you're looking for something that's kind of a mind bender for you. As far as, uh, Mr. Jofar, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, nobody, nobody will ever know if his claims are true. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of details to make up if you're just trying to pull a prank or pull someone's legs. I mean, that's a lot of, uh, lang that's a lot of made up languages to claim that you know how to speak. And, you know, I think, uh, as in most cases, this guy, especially back in 1850, probably had more to lose than to gain by, by sharing this story. I mean, back then, you know, the world was a smaller place. And especially if you're, you know, in a small town, you don't want people to think you're a little off. You know, it kind of sullies your good reputation, makes it harder to make friends, to hold down a job. And so, I don't know, I for one am open-minded to the idea that maybe he was, in fact, from a distant future. The next story is titled, Four Friends Travel from 1979 to 1905. In 1979, Jeff and Pauline Simpson and Len and Cynthia Gisby were traveling through France. When it became late, they decided to find a hotel for the night. 
They found a place not too far down the road they were traveling. It was an odd place. The doors to the rooms only had wooden latches, no locks, and the windows only had thick shutters, no glass. In the morning, they had breakfast at the hotel and encountered two armed French policemen that were wearing old-looking uniforms, complete with capes. The whole experience at the hotel seemed strange, partly because their stay only cost 19 francs. Other hotels in the area were costing over 200 francs at the time. Still, they happily went on their way, and on their return journey, they tried to stop and stay at the hotel again. Except it had seemingly vanished into thin air, and the uniforms those police officers were wearing—well, they were from around 1905. Now, I do have to say this is kind of a short, condensed version of of this account.、Uh, one other detail、uh, that's kind of、uh, a little chilling, in my opinion, was the fact that these these two couples. They actually took some pictures. They took some pictures of the hotel, and when they went to get the film developed, their pictures—just those pictures—came back black. They were completely blank. There was nothing on them. But all the pictures、uh, before that and after that on the trip came back normal. So it was—it was almost like you know they weren't meant to see or or they weren't meant to document this encounter. And also the the interesting thing to to consider is. You know, gosh, did anybody in the hotel look at them strangely? You know, because if you know, imagine yourself in 1905, and in walks you know somebody who looks like they're from the future. You know, almost 80 years into the future.、Uh, certainly, Jeff and Pauline and Len and Cynthia must have looked a little a little odd. You know, a little off. And、uh, you know, as far as the currency, that's another interesting thing.、Uh, I guess a franc is a franc <laughs> when you're in France. But、uh, I, you know, I wonder if they they check the the date. You know, on that on that currency. I don't claim to know much about French money, but I assume much like an American dollar, there's probably a date on there that it was printed. And apparently, people at the hotel didn't check that their currency was from you know the the 1970s. But anyway, I guess that's one of the perks of traveling back in time is that. Everything's cheaper. Up next, we have an article titled "20th Century Doctor Finds Himself in the 1800s." In 1935, Doctor E. G. Moon was leaving the residence of one of his patients in Kent, England, when he realized his car was not where he had left it. Both the driveway and the road seemed a lot rougher than he remembered. Doctor Moon spotted a man walking by the house, and he realized that the man was wearing several capes and a top hat, and he was carrying a long-barreled gun. He seemed like he was from the 19th century, not the 20th. Doctor Moon turned to go back to the house, but as he did, he saw that the driveway was paved again, and his car was once again parked in it. He turned back towards the road to look for the man, but the man had vanished. This is an interesting case. I mean, if you think about it, what if a modern-day doctor could go back in time and share some of his current knowledge of vaccines and medicine and medical discoveries? I mean, something like that would quite literally alter the course of human history. And、uh, you know, also, I mean, <laughs> maybe they could give doctors of the past some tips, like, "Hey, buddy,、uh, you might not want to smoke as you're delivering babies." You know. Not good for the health. It's kind of interesting to imagine a modern-day doctor going back into the past and, you know, answering questions about what today's world is like. I mean, I don't know what they would tell them. You know, all the kids are allergic to peanuts, and gluten is like the worst thing in the in the whole world. 
The next story is called "In 2000, a mysterious man named John Teeter claimed to come from the year 2036." In November 2000, the Time Travel Institute forums saw a spike in unusual activity. Nestled among the usual conspiracy theories and far-fetched UFO sightings were a string of posts from a man who called himself John Teeter. He claimed to be from the year 2036, saying that the government sent him back in time to 1975 to retrieve an IBM computer, which they needed in order to debug some computer programs. He hopped off his time machine in 2000 for personal reasons, allegedly, and since he was already there, he decided to warn everybody about how crappy the future was going to get. He claimed that civil unrest would begin in the United States in 2004, and there would be a full-blown civil war by 2012. By 2015, he said a quick World War III would have come and gone. Of course, none of these things actually happened. So you're probably wondering why did people believe this wingnut? It's because his posts about time travel were so detailed, the description of its mechanics and his machine were so thorough that it seemed almost impossible that he was lying. So essentially, homeboy just basically stopped making claims, stopped making online posts, and fell off the face of the earth. Now, this story has caused a lot of controversy in the time slip community. <laughs> there is a time slip community out there, believe it or not. But in my estimation,、um, you know, you got to lean towards more of a more of a hoax.、Uh, you know, I want to believe. It's just you know none of his predictions came true, and then I don't know, maybe he disappeared out of you know out of embarrassment, or you know just tucked his tail between his legs and kind of slithered off into into the background. But I, it's it's a weird one. I don't know. You know, th- but then again, you know, back in 2000, had I caught wind of this guy. Uh, I would have been following everything he posted, right? I mean, everybody wants to know what the future is going to be like.、Um, I just wish somebody from back then would have warned us about 2020, <laughs> right? Because nothing's nothing's been quite right since then. At this point in the podcast, I just want to pause briefly and ask everyone to rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice. Go ahead and spread the word to friends and family who are into the weird and unknown and the paranormal. And also, feel free to check out my other podcast. It's called Paranormal Dads. It's a compilation of all things weird and creepy and unusual, and a, a extra helping of humor. I do that podcast with my good buddies Eddie and Pat, and we have a lot of chuckles as we explore the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries. Also, noteworthy:、uh, grab yourself a pen or paper, or open up the note section in your phone and jot this down. The secret letter for today's show is L. L as in Loch Ness monster. You're going to want to keep track. Every episode of this podcast, I will give you a letter, and at the end of the season, you can collect all the letters and unscramble the secret word. If you email that secret word to my office, it's going to get you all sorts of perks and prizes and access to some to some bonus content. And、uh, I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing to do. So if you're looking for the、uh, secret letter for last episode, you're going to have to go back listen to the very very end of episode one. But secret letter for today is L. Up next, we have an article titled "Two Men from 1969 Drive Straight to the 1940s." In 1969, two men were having lunch in a southwestern Louisiana town. Afterward, they got in their car and headed back to work along U.S. Route 167, a highway that spans much of the state. In the distance, they saw an old car. 
As they got closer to it, they realized it was moving very slowly, and they could see the year 1940 printed on its license plate. The two men pulled up alongside the car and peered in to see if everything was okay. They were greeted by the sight of a woman done up in full 1940s regalia, and a small child, both of whom looked very confused and frightened. They gestured to the woman, indicating that she should pull over and they would help her. As she began to pull onto the side of the road, the two men stopped a few yards in front of her. When they turned around to make sure she had parked safely, the whole car had vanished into thin air. We're starting to see a, a pattern here. <laughs> you know, these time slip moments—they happen. They happen briefly, and then everything just vanishes. You know, poof, it's it's gone. And this is kind of, it's all a matter of perspective, but the interesting thing about this particular case is that the two men from 1969 were seen backwards in time. The lady and the baby inside the car from the 1940s were seen forward in time. Um, so this is both a, this is a time slip story that's both into the past for the men and into the future for, for the lady and the baby. It's kind of interesting because in most time slip encounters it's almost like a one way it's one person experiencing you know a snapshot back in time it's it's rare that you have two different people that acknowledge each other and clearly both parties seem confused so um, double time slip two for one special there up next we have an article called Preston Nichols and Al Bilek claim they were part of the alleged Montauk project at an Air Force base in Montauk New York at the eastern tip of Long Island Preston Nichols claims some top-secret government time travel experiments took place. Nichols writes in The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, that in the 1980s he recovered repressed memories of working on the project, and his claims seemed outlandish. They experimented on children, including one child that had psychic abilities. They created a time portal to 1943. But not just any moment in 1943, the portal opened up onto the USS Eldridge, the subject of another famous alleged government project called the Philadelphia Experiment. Proponents of the Philadelphia Experiment conspiracy theory purport that, at the height of World War II, the U.S. conducted a series of tests to try and cloak its warships. They wanted their ships to be invisible and undetectable. In October 1943, they reportedly succeeded, but there was a side effect. The Eldridge traveled back 10 minutes in time, and the experience drove the crew crazy. They were brainwashed afterward, their memories wiped of the whole incident. A film about these alleged events, called The Philadelphia Experiment, was released in 1984. And wouldn't you know it, that film triggered some repressed memories in one Al Bilek. Bilek began discussing these memories with the press, which brought him to the attention of Nichols. The two got in touch and together told a story that linked to the Montauk Project and the Philadelphia Experiment. Bilek had traveled through the time portal of the USS Eldridge to Montauk. The scientist at Montauk pushed him back through to the Eldridge. It's easy to dismiss Nichols and Bilek's claims as pure science fiction, but the tale is so compelling, so detailed and believable, it almost makes us want to believe. Yeah, that's a strange one. Uh, what the story failed to mention, if you read other accounts of this incident, apparently when the, when the, the warship transported to a different location for those 10 brief minutes, Allegedly, some of the sailors and crew members on board the vessel 
uh, you know, their, their molecular structure was, you know, stripped away and, and as they re-atomized, if you will, uh, they weren't quite right. And, you know, the jigsaw puzzle of their DNA didn't quite get put back together correctly. You had guys who, you know, whose body was apparently fused with the steel of the, of the ship. You had other guys who were missing limbs altogether. Uh, it was almost like a horror show of, of body parts that had been uh, reconstructed in the wrong places. There's a lot of controversy over this case in general. Uh, I don't know whether I believe it or not personally, but it's uh, it's a good one to consider, and it's one of the more famous time slip stories. Whether or not it actually happened is a is another question altogether. This next series of articles comes from a website called IndiaTimes.com, and the first article from this website is called "When Air Marshal Sir Victor Goddard Accidentally Entered a Parallel Universe." In his book on the subject, Time Travel, A New Perspective, J.H. Brennan talks about an accidental time travel story that'll definitely stay with you for some time to come. According to the writer, Air Marshal Sir Victor Goddard flew into a parallel universe by mistake. Back in 1935, when he was still a wing commander, Sir Goddard was instructed to inspect an inactive airbase located in Drem, near Edinburgh in Scotland. While flying over it, Sir Goddard found the airbase to be in a poor state, with cattle grazing on the wild grass that had now forced its way through the tarmac. It was in complete shambles. Later on, while flying his biplane, he got into a bit of trouble thanks to the harsh weather conditions. To avoid an accident, Sir Goddard decided to fly back to the airbase till the weather cleared out a bit. As he approached the airbase, the torrential rain oddly and very abruptly gave way to bright sunshine. If that wasn't odd enough, he also noticed that the airbase was in mint condition and in use. He even spotted mechanics wearing blue overalls working on the yellow planes parked on the runway. The planes were not the ones in use by the Air Force back then. In fact, Sir Goddard even failed to recognize a single one of them. This is funny, because instant renovation of the place couldn't have been possible. And more importantly, these guys weren't even wearing the khaki-colored uniforms that were normal back then. Also, the Air Force painted all their planes in silver, not yellow. Completely baffled by what the hell was going on, Goddard got the shock of his life four years later. Europe was war-torn, and he happened to visit Drem once again. But this time, he saw everything he saw four years back in 1935. Same people in blue overalls servicing yellow planes, full-on deja vu moment. He even found the plane that he couldn't recognize before. It was a Miles Magister. Did Sir Goddard fly four years into the future? Skeptics say that Goddard might have simply been confused about his location, but that's too simple of an explanation. Also, could an acclaimed officer like him make such an elementary mistake? Sir Goddard passed away in 1987, so I guess we'll never have an answer. Here's the thing that we have to remember about this story. Pilots are trained observers. Anybody with a distinguished military career doesn't get there by accident. <laughs> they're trained observers. They're, they're, they're trained to be... Uh, you know, good at observing details. Uh, they're good at remaining calm under pressure. Uh, you know, most of them could not be labeled as the most creative or, you know, fanciful uh, type imaginative people to make something up like this. 
so that's a that's an interesting one, and it's it's one that's kind of left people scratching their heads ever since it happened. Up next, the news broke eleven years before it actually happened. Newspaper reporter J. Bernard Hutton and photographer Joachim Brandt were sent to do a feature story on the Hamburg shipyard in Germany. After completing their assignment, just as they were about to leave the premises, they heard the sound of an aircraft engine, only to look up and see the sky full of fighter planes. The anti-aircraft batteries opened fire, and bombs started going off. All of a sudden, this place had become a war zone. Things were exploding, buildings were collapsing, there was death and chaos everywhere. Before rushing out to save their lives, Hutton even asked a security guard if there was something they could do to help out, but was asked to immediately leave the area instead. As the two drove into Hamburg, things changed. The sky cleared up, and everything was back to being normal. There was no blood or violence. The buildings were fine. No one seemed to panic. It was as if nothing had happened. When Hutton and Brant looked behind towards the shipyard, they couldn't spot anything wrong with it. No damage, no smoke coming from the building. It was shocking. The newspaper office obviously did not believe the two. Even the pictures that Brant had been taking during the attack showed everything to be normal. The shipyard looked as good as new. Their colleagues dismissed their claim by deciding that they must have stopped on their way for a drink, and it was the alcohol making them see things. Bernard Hutton later moved to London just before the Second World War began. In 1943, what he read in a newspaper one morning almost made his heart stop. It was a story about a successful raid by a Royal Air Force squadron on the Hamburg shipyard. The resemblance was uncanny. This was the exact representation of what he and Brandt witnessed 11 years back. But how? Quite simply, what we have here is a case of two guys seeing 11 years into the future. I mean, how else do you how else do you explain this? You know, and the cool part about having more than one witness to an experience is you can almost rule out、uh, user error, so to speak. They both saw it. They both saw the same thing, and, and also detailed, noteworthy. They even interacted with somebody in this time slip. You know, the asking if can we do anything to help? Can we do anything to make the situation better? And you know the person on duty said no, just get out of here, save yourself. The other thing I can't help but wonder is if they saw this event eleven years into the future, and then it inevitably ended up playing out in real life. You know, was that was that air attack a part of fate and destiny? You know, was it cemented as a historical event that had to happen、uh, regardless of who knew about it or who saw it coming ahead of time? And if that's the case. You know, it makes you wonder why. Why was that an inevitable part of history, and and why couldn't it be changed? The man who traveled back in time to become a Wall Street scam artist. On the twenty eighth of January two thousand three, a certain man named Andrew Carlson was arrested and detained by the police for insider trading on Wall Street. It's insane, really. Over a two-week period in the stock market, Andrew went from having eight hundred dollars to making—wait for it—three hundred and fifty million dollars. It's like whatever he invested in turned to gold. It's nearly impossible to make the kind of profits he did. He was arrested by the cops on the allegations that he must have had illegal insider information. But when asked why and how he did this, the cops weren't really expecting what Andrew had to say. He claimed to be a man from the year 
Since he was from the future, he knew exactly how the stocks were going to perform. Obviously, the cops thought this guy was talking utter rubbish. But get this: soon after he was released on bail, the man disappeared from the face of the earth, and even after repeated attempts, he could not be found. Was he telling the truth? Who knows? But get this: Carlson also predicted the exact date of the United States invasion of Iraq. So he took his three hundred and fifty million dollars and said, "Peace out. I'm going back,、uh, back to the future." Hey, shout out to Back to the Future. That's a that's a good time slip story, <laughs> time slip movie you should check out. But he did took took his bundles of cash that he had made and went back to twenty two fifty six, never to be seen again. I have to admit, you know, I've I've read my fair share of time slip stories over the years, but when I rounded up that article and and read it, I I had never heard of that one before. Almost reminds me of、uh, in Back to the Future. I think it might have been Back to the Future, maybe the first one, where、uh, Biff gets that、uh, almanac of the sports scores and he starts to bet money, you know, on the ball game. The last story of this episode is a strange one, and this one's called "The Man from Torrid." On a hot afternoon in July 1954, a man arrived at the Haneda Airport, also known as the Tokyo International Airport. Described to be a Caucasian man with a beard, this man is known to have been French, but he was pretty fluent in other languages as well, including Japanese. Now there are a couple versions of this story. Some say that the man handed over his passport to be stamped by the Japanese immigration officers. When the officers realized that while the passport seemed perfectly fine, the country where it was issued did not exist in real life. That country was called Torrid. In another version of the story, the man mentioned that he was from Torrid, and when the officers didn't believe him, he showed his passport. But either way, the man tried his best to convince the officers that Torrid does, in fact, exist in real life. He claimed that it was located between France and Spain. He claimed that his hometown wasn't new either, and said it had been around for at least a thousand years. Eventually, when the man was shown a world map, he pointed to the area which is currently the Principality of Andorra. He genuinely seemed confused as to why the authorities were hell bent on calling this place Andorra. Eventually, immigration officers arrested the man on suspicions of being a criminal. To interrogate him further and figure out what in God's name was going on, he was shifted to a nearby hotel. Two guards were positioned outside of his room. But guess what happened when they went to check on the man the next day? Poof, he had vanished. There were no signs of his escape, and even the documents that he was carrying with him, which could have been used as evidence for this man's existence, well, that disappeared as well. Could he have been a man from the future? Or more interestingly, could he be living in a parallel universe where Andorra is known as Torrid? More logically, all of this could be the work of a talented storyteller. Unfortunately, there's just no way to tell. Well, poor guy was just trying to make it back to his homeland, and、uh, <laughs> it does make you wonder if it's a alternate timeline, parallel universe kind of stuff. You've heard it before, you know, the flap of a, a butterfly's wings can cause a chain of events that can alter the future drastically. And、uh, you know, based on the decisions that we make or don't make over the course of our life, you know, we we shape history, and every every action and reaction kind of branches off into one of a million、uh, possible futures. So maybe in this guy's reality,、uh, Andorra was was really torrid. I mean, but it's kind of sad. I mean, imagine if it were you, 
you know, and you're at the airport, you're just trying to get on your plane and you hand your passport and they say, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the United States, uh, come on, like, where are you really from? That's not a real place. Uh, that would, that would leave us, uh, abs- it would make our head spin. It would be infuriating. But, you know, the thing with time slips and time travel, technically, uh, time travel is possible. I mean, it's it's science, it's physics. The faster we travel, uh, the the slower time goes for us. In fact, if we had a, you know, make believe, uh, you know, rocket ship that could travel ninety nine point nine percent the speed of light, uh, aboard your ship, only one year would pass for every two hundred and twenty three years that passed back on Earth. Kind of puts things in perspective, there, doesn't it? And. That reminds me of a movie I would highly recommend everybody check out. It's not exclusively about time slips or time travel, but it has undertones and elements of that. Uh, the movie is called Interstellar. It stars Matthew McConaughey, and I'd highly recommend it for anybody who's looking for kind of a mind bender. And uh, it's not the most uplifting movie in, in the whole world. Uh, there's going to be moments where it's it's kind of sad, but uh, it's it's a journey. It's an epic journey. Other movies that might tickle your fancy if you enjoy the phenomenon of time slips, The Time Machine. It's a 2002 American science fiction movie loosely adapted by John Logan from the 1895 novel of the same name that was written by H.G. Wells, and the screenplay of the 1960 film of the same name by David Duncan. But I think many of us have seen The Time Machine. It's a it's an oldie but a goodie. Of course, <laughs> I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, uh, ultimate time slip uh, type movie, a lot of humor in it as well. A uh, guy wakes up and it's the same dang day. No matter what he does, he wakes up on the same day. Uh, the Butterfly Effect, that's a heavy one that came out in 2004. Uh, plot line is kind of a character named uh, Evan Traborn suffers blackouts during significant events of his life. And as he grows up, he kind of finds a way to remember these lost memories and there's a supernatural way that he can alter his life by reading his personal journal uh there's parts of that movie that are very uncomfortable and very uh very kind of heavy uh, but it is a good time slip movie also a newer a newer movie came out in 2016 called arrival and the plot to this is a linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecraft appear around the world and the cool thing about Arrival, uh, this this is a movie that does have a twist ending. I think many of us did not see it coming. And uh, check it out because it's kind of loosely in the wheelhouse of time slips. If you have a cool time slip story that you'd like to share with me, uh, feel free. You can email it to andymyersmanagement at gmail.com. Meanwhile, keep an eye on your clocks and watches and calendars. You might want to do your best to stay rooted in the present moment best you can. Because as you know, time, well, time's a, a funny thing. It can be so slippery and so strange.